and welcome to Generation Elect. We come to you now at season two of this podcast. We have taken our summer break. We were off the whole month of August. We didn't miss that much, but now we're back for another season of this new young political podcast, one of the only ones in the world run by kids. Today, we'll be talking in this podcast about the Democratic primary and the next primary debate, which will be a big one as it's only one night. We'll talk about um, how dropped up, dropped out candidates have affected the election. We'll also talk about a new Mississippi governor election that's going to change uh, this year's uh, pr- this year's uh, election year uh, very much. And we'll also finally talk about um, a new primary challenger to Donald Trump and how he may affect the race. So I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Griffin Roeder. Griffin, how are you? Oh, Henry. <clears throat> I'm most excellent this fine Friday in early September. Well, it's great to hear your voice again. How was your summer? Oh, I had an excellent summer. Being a CIT at uh, my summer camp was the ultimate pleasure. I had so much fun doing it, and I'm glad to be back on the podcast. That's, sure. really good to, that's really good to hear. I, uh, I had a good summer, too. I went, went away to the jazz camp. I took some vacations to D.C. and Alaska. Yeah, overall, it was good, and... Uh, but we're both really glad to be back. We would have had this episode recorded a week ago, but we had some problems with our podcast app. But here we are with season two of Generation Elect. Let's get on this. All right. So the first uh, topic we'll be talking about is the big one in the room, the new Democratic debate coming up Thursday. Ten candidates have qualified for this debate, and those ten candidates are Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, and Julian Castro. This is one debate night opposed to two. How does that change things? Is this just one debate night? Well, consider that the top candidates are all being matched together and that certain candidates who have never debated before will be debating for the first time. For example, Joe Biden has never debated Elizabeth Warren. This is going to be his first time going up against her. Uh, he also um, hasn't. I'm pretty sure he's debated mostly. He hasn't debated Klobuchar either, actually. Yeah, and in some ways, I think the Biden-Warren matchup is the ultimate matchup because it was, a, it was revealed that Biden and Warren will get the two center, s- center podiums. You know, those are the big ones mm-hmm. for the one and two candidate. And, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, how um, moderate and progressive divides have deepened over the last debates. But I think this is where they come to an ultimate climax with the epitome of a moderate Democrat who uh, doesn't want to rush into plans yet, wants the same goals as the progressives, but wants a slow, measured, and calm approach versus Elizabeth Warren, who is very fiery and wants to get change done as soon as possible. So do you think that's going to be one of the big matchups? Certainly, yes. Warren going against Biden. Uh, There is a possibility for Warren and Sanders to tag team like they did in the debate in July, which I rewatched upon returning from camp. Uh, Yeah. Also, there may be a potential for a debate to emerge within some of the more progressive candidates uh, in the Democratic Party. For example, Yang and Bernie Sanders, they both have conflicting views on how to deal with the problem of automation in particular. So, as many of you know, Andrew Yang, the Asian candidate who likes math, is running for president on, uh, with his signature policy proposal of a universal basic income, which gives every American adult $1,000 a month. Bernie Sanders' um, campaign promise, um, one of his campaign promises, 
is a federal jobs guarantee, which is meant to um, create jobs for uh, create government jobs to reach full employment. So these are two conflicting views, and we didn't we weren't able to see Bernie and Yang battle it out in the first debate because Yang had so little speaking time. But there's a possibility this could happen. Yeah, you're right. I think that the media still has um, a bit of a block when it comes to covering Andrew Yang. I mean, he's a really different candidate. You see that by his movements and his actions. In the Climate Town Hall, it was really different. And uh, they view him as kind of an outsider, which he is. And, you know, the universal basic income called the Freedom Pension or something uh, like that. Dividend. Freedom Dividend. Yeah, that is an interesting idea. Um, my problem with it is this. It's that... Uh, I mean, this is $1,000 a month to every American, right? And yeah, I could make the argument that that is useful to some people, you know, working multiple jobs, raising kids, and just barely able to scrape by. But th- that $1,000 a month isn't useful to big, uh, you know, big, really rich millionaires. And couldn't the, that $1,000 a month be going to the poor people? Why does, it, why does it have to be equal? Shouldn't it be equitable? I don't know. That's my problem with Yang. But it's going to be interesting to see how he carries on. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know... Biden has had a real rivalry with Kamala Harris. That really escalated in the second debate. What are your thoughts on Kamala's proceedings with Biden or other candidates in this debate? Well, Kamala Harris is quite lucky in this debate because she will not have to be going against Tulsi Gabbard, who annihilated her in the July debate on the 31st when Tulsi brought up Kamala's record as a federal prosecutor. So um, Now... About Gabbard, there were uh, many regards the polling done by the DNC, the polling requirement as unfair. Uh, actually, according to Real Clear Politics, Gabbard is polling ahead of Julian Castro and Amy Klobuchar. However, she was not uh, permitted access into the September debate, given how the DNC required certain polls, only yeah. a select group of polls. And, you know, this really pissed me off because Tulsi Gabbard, um, you know, after Gillibrand dropped out, I, you know, I was conflicting about who to support. And Tulsi Gabbard came up on that list of people I might support. And it just it's really annoying that Tulsi Gabbard, who polled at two percent in a lot of polls that the DNC just doesn't consider to be valid, is it's really concerning that she gets left out because I think she's a more important voice in this campaign than Amy Klobuchar or Andrew Yang, in my opinion. I think that her switch from conservative to liberal was pretty genuine, if you ask me. But like, um. Yeah, I want Tulsi on that stage compared to some of those other people. But it's interesting how the DNC did those rules. I mean, a DNC committee member got frustrated at all this, like jabbing at the DNC's uh, polling requirements and said, you know, guys, you've had 21 polls, three to 2%. It's not that hard, which sparked a bit of controversy. But um, yeah, but based on the 10 candidates who are there, I mean, those are the 10 we have. Like, uh, is there anything or anyone you're keeping a special eye on? Um, I'd actually want to keep an eye on Klobuchar. In the first two debates, she was rather timid, a bit overly scripted, uh, not really direct attacks, more like she was very indirect when it came to attacking uh, her opponents. She was more concerned with promoting her vision than attacking her opponents, which I guess is a plus because in a Democratic field full of multiple candidates you want to have some positive messages especially in debates but you also have to land in some attacks on your opponents that's how Tulsi and i think 
Yeah. And I think that Amy Klobuchar has a clear strategy, in my opinion. And I think her clear strategy is um, taking on the healthcare uh, farm system, big pharma and all that, mm-hmm. and try to make healthcare more accessible to all. I think that's her big thing. I mean, she became a politician because she wasn't allowed to stay in the hospital for more than a few days with her newborn baby. And, um, you know, she's really big on big pharma. She, had, she, she always has interesting points in the healthcare debate. Not, I don't necessarily agree with them. I'm more of the progressive approach when it comes to healthcare a public option and all that. But um, I really think that's a strategy to go big on that. Um, I want to shift the focus a bit to Pete Buttigieg now, too. Uh, he was, you know, he really caught on fire in March. Um, his first two baits were good. They were solid performances. I'm curious. They weren't, they didn't blow any away, blow anyone away. They didn't really make many sound bites, not many headlines. Can, is he going to do that in the third debate? Is he going to rise up and show that he's a star? I don't know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, Pete Buttigieg, he is a very inspiring young candidate who's uh, very energetic. Uh, he'd also be the youngest and the first LGBTQ president of the United States if elected. Uh, also, he hasn't, held, he hasn't been in Washington, D.C. He's only been mayor of the city of South Bend, Indiana, which is right in the heart of the Rust Belt. But anyhow... Uh, I would say I'm actually not, I'm going to say no, because there is a very, very apparent weakness that Pete Buttigieg has, and it is shared by Bill de Blasio, and that is conflict with police and racial issues. And this is a topic that no matter how it's phrased, it just can't go over for Buttigieg well, because there's an incident in which uh, an African-American man was... Uh, murdered in cold blood by a white police officer who um, did not get fired. The chief of police did not deal with the incident. And these incidents certainly do not go over well. They're not going to be dropped. And I have a feeling that one of the candidates will bring it up at some point. Also, he also, um, Mayor Buttigieg also is seen as a little bit more corporate friendly than, say, Bernie Sanders, which is understandable. However, Bernie Sanders, who is also a mayor of a city with similar population, Burlington, Bernie has a very progressive record as mayor of Burlington, notably trying to prevent the development of luxury condos in uh, by down government-subsidized housing. Buttigieg, I believe... He was, um, he was selling various tracts of land in his um, yeah. South Bend to some, like, for development of, you know, luxury apartments. And here's, uh, yeah, here's my thing. Here's my thing with Buttigieg. I mean, you know, he is, he's a good candidate. He's been very solid. I think that his popularity among black voters, which he'll need to do any traction in the primary, is at a really low and i really don't think he wins this primary at all unless some incredible thing happens but um you know another thing about people to judge is that like a lot of candidates regard a lot of people regard him as like kind of the most like elitist out of all the front runners because you look at like biden warren sanders kamala harris like they've all grew up in these incredible like in these incredible like comeback stories like all from poverty or low backgrounds or like um or different you know uh past stories and Pete Buttigieg, you know, has, I don't think he represents many Americans and what he is like, a, you know, kind of a, 
he was born privileged and he's a Rhodes Scholar and a veteran and like he's had a pretty easy life up until now. And I think that people have branded him as the elitist candidate. I wouldn't disagree with that. And although I like him a lot, I think that the four other frontrunners are more representative of the American people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think all Buttigieg needs, though, is one big, big performance in the third debate along the lines that Kamala did in the first debate to make him back in the conversation. Yes. Um, yeah, what do you think about the two progressives, though, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren? Are they going to tag team again? I think there is a possibility that they could tag team, go after some of the more moderate candidates like Biden and Amy Klobuchar, possibly even some slightly more moderate candidates like Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris. However, although Bernie and Warren are noted as the progressive candidates, there are some slight differences. Uh, I've seen social media, I've seen Reddit, people are often uh, showing that Warren is less progressive than Bernie, especially when it comes to issues like climate change and foreign policy. For example, Warren uh, has closer ties to Israel than uh, Bernie Sanders does, which is quite remarkable because Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is Jewish, yeah. Um, now Bernie but, Sanders is willing to call out Israel on what they've done foreign policy wise. Warren is a little more reluctant, so there is a possibility Bernie can go yeah. the attack. I don't see Bernie and Warren really duking it out this time around. I think they're gonna go after Biden and Kamala Harris, but um. Yeah. Yeah, I think Warren is in a good position. I mean, she's in the center stage, which is just a logistical thing, but that's great for her. And, um, you know, she's like, she's she's very progressive, and I think she's gaining a lot of popularity. She's risen in the polls. She's getting hot right at the right time, I think, you know. She's in a real hot streak. But um, I think that she, if I had to bet money now on the primary, I think she's the one who comes over the nomination. But, um, yeah, it's she needs, I mean, this is the big debate. Ten people are here. You know, she hasn't, she's been good in the first two debates. She hasn't had a show-stealing performance. I think that this is the time where she needs to show that she is the clear number one in this primary and put her on a path to Iowa and the nomination. So, yeah, any final thoughts about uh, the debate before we, you know, yes, two, just focus uh, on it? Yes, two quick candidates we didn't mention as much, Booker and Castro. Um, yeah. Julian Castro actually had two fairly uh, good performances and debates. Um, and I feel like Castro may also try to go on the attack, in particular against Biden. He was launching attacks against Biden for his uh, immigration policy and how he was tied to Obama when there were um, factors in the Obama group immigration policy that Castro himself disliked. However, Castro, though, I feel like he's going to sort of cling to optimism. I mean, he's gone yeah. against Beto. He's gone against um, Joe Biden. Actually, wait, I didn't mention Beto. Well, he's irrelevant now. Yeah, he's but, irrelevant you know. now so, yeah, I don't really see Beto. No, I think it further. points to the fact how good Julian, Julian Castro is at debating that we, we're not even mentioning Beto in a, I mean, in a podcast. We're kind of forgetting about yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, Castro and yeah, Beto's I mean Castro and Booker campaign. Give him some. Credit. He's good at that. He's good at <laughs> running maybe a should do that campaign, again. but not a presidential campaign. It was a smaller field. Yeah, no, but yeah, Castro and Booker are good at debating, but I think the gap between them and the other candidates is a bit too wide to cross this month or even next month. 
But yeah, one final thing is I hope the DNC talks about climate change just a bit. You know, they had that. I watched five hours and 54 minutes of that seven hour town hall. And I am proud to say that. But like, um, (laughs) and it was good. I I was glad to see seven hours of, you know, in-depth climate change talk. Because that's like the stuff I really like to hear. You know, I've gone to climate change town halls. But I hope they talk about that more and more. Yeah. I mean, there was no debating in that town hall, so I, was, yeah. I hope there's some debating here. You watched six hours of that town hall, and then the next day you had to start high school. Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird, because, like, you know, high school was a Thursday, then uh, Wednesday night was that town hall, so, like, I'm, like, my mom's all like, oh, get your school supplies together, you gotta do all this, and I'm like, no, 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 stop, Julian Castro's on in five minutes, please go away. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, was, it was fun. And then I woke up tired because I'd stayed up all night watching climate change. But um, yeah, so anyways, I think, uh, oh, yeah, we want to talk about one more thing regarding the 2020 presidential race. And that is uh, three major candidates have dropped out. That would be Kristen Gillibrand, Jay Inslee, and John Hickenlooper. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on these big dropouts? So, so let's and, see. Yeah. Let's start with Hickenlooper. He dropped out a while ago, mid-August. John Hickenlooper, former governor of Colorado, mayor of Denver, successful businessman. Uh, his campaign was uh, really about attacking uh, some of the more progressive voices like Bernie and Warren. That's what he was doing at the debate um, in July. You know, throw your hands up. He couldn't really get in a very inspiring <laughs> message. He just was that really moderate Democrat that no one really cared about. His campaign was yeah. never bound to get very far, so... He just and then, jumped to the Senate race, where yeah. he's now the front runner. He's likely to become the next senator from Colorado. And I'm so glad he switched to the Senate. That news made my day as a Democrat, because, mm-hmm. you know, we need him in that Senate campaign from a Democratic perspective. And there's no use for him running for president. So I'm really glad that he switched there. But, yeah, I want to talk about um, Jay Inslee. And uh, I think that, uh, you know... He dropped out. His big message was climate change. Mm-hmm. And I think that his uh, campaign was a smashing success, in my opinion. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was never running to win. He, I don't think he ever... He's a really smart guy. He never thought for a second, oh, I'm in it to win this presidential race. I mean, maybe in the early days that he had a better chance. But, you know, he stayed in this race, pushed his message, pushed his message on climate change. And now, thanks to him, CNN had a seven-hour town hall on it. Yeah. And I think um, right at the beginning, they thanked Jay Inslee for it. So I think, you know, climate change wasn't getting that much love in terms of uh, topics to talk about. And I'm so glad that Jay Inslee pushed, pushed that message. And I think that whatever when Democrats should be really grateful for him. And like he, if Democrats win back the presidency in 2020, then he should be appointed to some major environmental yeah, position. Like head of the EPA, possibly. Yeah, head of the EPA or, um, or you know, Secretary of the Interior. Secretary yeah, he's. Energy. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, energy. Yeah, the one that Rick Perry's in. <laughs> but um, yeah, J- Inslee had a good campaign, I thought, and uh, he he's a good voice. Um, yeah, what do you think about Gillibrand, though? Before we um, move on to the second okay, topic, I guess maybe I'll just do quickly Seth Moulton. He wasn't in any sure. debates. His campaign really was bad. <laughs> he he focused on foreign policy too much, and foreign policy isn't really a big issue compared to issues like the economy, healthcare, climate change. And he really no. wasn't bound to gain much traction anyways. So I remember in May, I watched like two minutes of a Seth Moulton town hall and then like switched it off to watch like a soccer replay. Yeah. So like that, that, that sums up his campaign for me. Yeah. yeah. Not much Go on about, about uh, what you're saying. Okay. Gillibrand. Yeah. Kirsten Gillibrand, our state's junior senator. Her campaign. Well, at first in January 2019, when she announced her uh, exploratory committee, 
I was thinking that Kirsten Gillibrand would actually be one of the front runners as a <laughs> uh, longtime senator from the great state of New York, which is a state that is a huge powerhouse for the Democratic Party, spitting out multiple Democratic politicians. Uh, I think that she had a lot of muscle to begin with. The thing is, now, her campaign uh, largely focused on women's issues, paid leave, abortion um, in particular. However, one thing is, although those were strong issues, not as many Americans are really focused on abortion as you know, the, the bread and butter issues like healthcare and uh, yeah. the economy, climate change. Those are like the top three for Democrats. Abortion's probably up there, but just not. It doesn't affect there. the same amount of people. Yeah. And, but, you know, yeah, I was I was really sad to see Chris yeah. Gillibrand drop out because she was who I was supporting from the beginning. You know, like if I was old enough to vote in a primary and she was still in it, I would have voted for Gillibrand. But like, you know, it was it was really it, I was, it was painful for me to watch her campaign, you know, sputter and fail and never get anywhere because, you know, I think she focused on feminism and women's rights really exclusively, you know, as you said before, you know, paid leave, uh, extended maternity leaves and then like, um, you know, women's right to choose. And that was good. I thought that was the kind of the stuff we needed, you know, the feminism, because I think that, you know, that was the kind of boost we needed. But um, no, I was sad to see her fail. I remember... I thought the same, the same thing as you. I remember me and my mom were sitting on the couch and watching Gillibrand announce her campaign on Colbert. And I was like, oh, she, I bet, oh, I hope she gets the nomination. And my mom was like, she has no chance. And I was wondering what she means, why, why, she, why Gillibrand has no chance. And then I figured it out. And it's uh, the reason why your campaign failed is two words. And those two words are Al Franken. Yes, Al Franken. <laughs> but yeah. I also thought that she really resembled Hillary Clinton a lot. I mean, both Not in the way she talks, but yeah. Long senators from the state of New York, just like, uh, not only that, they're quite similar on the issues, and many Democrats are trying to yeah. forget about Hillary and think about the future, think about defeating Donald Trump. So. Yeah, 2020 wasn't her year. I hope she's back in the running for something one of these days, but mm-hmm. yeah, let's see. Um, so yeah, let's. Um, we're going to shift away now from 2020, really a lot of stuff happening in that race. Yeah. But now we're moving on to another race that's happening in 2019. Uh, tell us about the Mississippi gubernatorial race. Okay, so Mississippi, it's a very conservative state in the Deep South, and this race is going to be an easy win for Republicans. Wrong. Wrong, actually. The state attorney general of Mississippi is a Democrat. Any Democrat who supports extension of Medicaid and is actually quite liberal on economic issues, although the reason why he's been able to stay around for so long is he's socially conservative. He's sort of like John Bell Edwards, governor of Louisiana. He's huh. also up for re-election 19. Uh, so Jim Hood, he was able to win his primary without a hitch. There were three Oh, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, there were three Republican candidates running. Uh, Robert, two serious ones, uh, though. Oh, yeah, two made it to a runoff. Um, yeah. There was Kate Reeves, the lieutenant governor, and Bill Waller, who is chief justice of the Mississippi Supreme Court. Basically, to describe the difference between Reeves and Waller, Reeves is kind of like a textbook conservative on just about all the issues. 
Waller is actually more focused on improving the roads and infrastructure and schools in Mississippi. And get this, he was actually not pulling out a raise in taxes. Wow. Yeah, a Republican thing. About that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So. But yeah, I mean, my thoughts on Tate Reeves and Bill Waller Jr. No, I, I mean, I did the research for this last week, so a bit of this is lost in my head a bit. But um, I remember, you know, seeing a bit of their debate and the whole debate was just like, I'm more conservative than you. You're not a real conservative. So I think they're fighting for like the mainstream conservative title. I think Tate Reeves got that edge and got the win, partly because he's a Trumpian conservative. I mean, I think he's Trump's preferred choice for this race. But um, yeah, you know, the primary and especially the runoff was overshadowed by voting controversy. Yeah. Uh, there were videos on you know, Twitter and Instagram and all the social media platforms of people trying to select Bill Waller Jr., and when they clicked on the little thing in their voting machine that said "Select Bill Waller Jr. for Governor," it, uh, it the check mark went to B- Tate Reeves. And for me, I mean, this means just I think this enforces the case for um, switching to paper ballots because mm-hmm. you know paper ballots is no technology malfunction. And while I'm all for I'm all for technology in every aspect, I think this is just one where you know paper has got the edge. I mean, what are your thoughts on this voting controversy? Um, one thing about this voting controversy is there were some machines that did have malfunctions that um, changed the voting from Waller to Reeves, but it's going to be a lot more serious when it comes to November 5th, Election Day. It could be a very close race between Hood and Reeves in the general election. Decided, like, it could be wickedly close. And a mal- in a series of malfunctioning voting machine could actually change the outcome of the election from uh, one candidate to the other. I, it couldn't it could, yeah. Yeah, could allow Reeves to become governor, even if he gets fewer votes, technically. Fewer intended votes. So. And who knows about voter suppression? I mean, that's why Stacey Abrams lost her election, and that could play a big factor in the Mississippi governor election. Yeah. You know, if that stuff continues. But, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, all the big pollsters have rated this election as a lean Republican or a likely Republican. So, yeah, that's something to look for. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to need to grab a new pair of earbuds. My phone's about to die. But, yeah, um, talk more about the Mississippi governor election while I find earbuds. <laughs> yeah, so if you had to predict it, who would it be? I would say Reeves and a close one. Probably a bit closer than the runoff. Uh, Mississippi special election last year. So, oh, yeah, with uh, whoever that um, woman yeah, was, um, yeah. Cindy Ann Smith and SB, that yeah. one. So, like, that one. single oh, yeah. digits, but like, not wickedly close. Not like single, like, not less than 1%, probably like 4% or something. Sorry. You hear me? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think we can agree that this is, um, you know, going to be the highlight of the 2019 election year, which doesn't say much because it's a it's an odd numbered election year but yeah, yeah it'll be good to see how that happens you know controversy it's going to be interesting election i think the main thing i want to the main point i want to talk about for this election the consequences that it could have are the abortion rights in mississippi because you know deep south states have introduced bills we saw one pass in alabama that really above ban all abortion and if tate reeves wins then i really expect him to do this so i think that this yeah. election has a lot at stake for um, a governor election. 
Actually, the governor of Mississippi, Brian, he might have also signed. He might have already signed an abortion restriction bill, but I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, but whichever way you slice it, having a Republican uh, governor continue with that, I mean, it's only going to get worse from a Democratic perspective, right? But yeah, so that's um, interesting about the Mississippi governor election. And uh, yeah, um, ready to move on to Joe Walsh? Sure. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll uh, introduce this one. Joe Walsh, Joe Walsh, who um, was a Tea Party representative, kind of a controversial guy for a while when he was in Congress. Now he's a columnist and he has a very active uh, Twitter profile. He, uh, he's, um, you know, he's been an outspoken pr- critic of President Donald Trump, and he just announced his candidacy to take him on in a Republican primary. And what are your thoughts on this? Well... As we all know, Trump um, will not only be facing Joe Walsh in the Republican primary, he also has Bill Weld, former governor of Massachusetts. Uh, Walsh is more socially conservative than Bill Weld. However, he used to not be. In the 1990s, Joe Walsh was actually very much a moderate Republican when he first ran for Congress and lost. When he ran in 2010 with the Tea Party wave, he had switched up on social issues, going from um, being like pro-choice, pro-gay marriage to being against uh, being uh, against abortion. He was against gay marriage, and also he had a controversial record uh, in Congress and as a radio show's show host. He shows he showed many like he showed much of the same uh, controversial rhetoric that Trump showed, but before Trump ran for president and his main message that he's trying to pitch is that trump is like pathological liar and you just can't really trust him to be president of the united states and the big yeah and the big news on the day of recording this uh episode which is uh friday the sixth for us um big news is is that four states have canceled primaries and i don't know if you already heard about this story broke two hours ago but um nevada uh, Kansas and two other states, <laughs> they have canceled primaries. And I think that's um, a big deal, a bigger deal than people are, you know, making that to be because, you know, canceling elections are, I mean, that's the baseline of it. They're canceling elections and that's the stuff of dictators. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I mean, I think it's on a smaller scale because it's a Republican primary that Trump's going to win. But I think just the, you know, the, uh, the action that leaves some voters unable to choose Joe Walsh or Bill Weld in an election that pretty much leaves them out of the running. If there's a Nevada citizen who likes Joe Walsh, the fact that they can't vote for him now, I feel like there's something wrong with that. And I'm curious what your take is that take is on that. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, even, even the president of the United States isn't exempt from a tough primary challenge. Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford, uh, George HW Bush, <laughs> They all face serious primary challengers in their uh, bids for re-election. And although they are able to uh, win re-nomination, it signaled it was a bad sign. They were going to lose re-election inevitably. So what Trump is trying to do, Trump and the Republican Party, which um, uh, the chair of the RNC, he's already endorsed by the Republican Party because the RNC chair isn't like waiting for the nominee they're just endorsing trump right yeah yeah which breaks precedent anyways but 
trying to. Wait, did the DNC endorse Obama? Sorry for interrupting. Did, did, did the DNC endorse Obama in 2012? Like, is that. Uh, well, considering 2012, Obama didn't really have any real primary challengers. He. Because really. Yeah. If they aren't a politician or a national celebrity or at least like decently rich. The Democratic Party was just going to endorse Obama because yeah. no one else would have beaten him in a primary. So. Yeah, but go on with what you're saying. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. So what the Republican parties, uh, what Trump and the Republican Party are doing is basically trying to rig the primary system so that Trump can win renomination uh, eas- like easily. Th- this is just unfair. To I'd agree with you. Like, and if you ever think that there's a debate coming for Republicans, uh, you need some more context because this, I mean, this is Trump's, um, this is Trump's rhetoric. I mean, he said in 2016 that he might not accept the result of the election. And now they're canceling elections where he's challenged. I mean, you know, where else they cancel elections where um, a ruler is challenged? Uh, Russia and North Korea. So I think it's... Um, I think we should keep that in mind. But yeah, it's that that's alarming. It's a small scale, but it's alarming. So yeah, um, Joe Walsh now has a limited impact on the election. So any final thoughts about any of uh, these three topics? Um, no. Neither do I. So yeah, yeah. great. Uh, we all we all hope that all of you listeners uh, tune in to the next Democratic debate. Talk about it Thursday. If any of you have any listener questions on that. Uh, we'll put yeah. we'll put some up on next our next podcast, and uh, we thank yeah. you all, listeners, for yeah. sticking with us for another season yeah. now, season two. Mm-hmm. It's um I'm glad you bared us for nine months. And, yeah, uh, yeah, listen to us talk. It's been it's been great, and we're excited to start the 2019-20 school year with more podcasts. So yeah. follow us on Instagram at Generation Elect, and yeah, have a good day. Thanks. Yes, yeah. have a nice day, fellas. <laughs>